Support comes from Empower Missouri's Week of Action with in-person and virtual advocacy training for affordable housing, criminal justice, and food security initiatives March 25th through 28th. Registration at empowermissouri.org WOA. Upon the examination of the galaxies of space, images begin to appear. Images of strange and powerful forces. The two most powerful, Claire McCaskill and Josh Hawley, prepare to explode. Champion versus champion, title for title. It's the ultimate Senate challenge on the Politically Speaking Podcast. And welcome to Politically Speaking. I'm your host, Jason Rosenbaum, or should I say Jason... Ringleader? Is it, is it what, ringmaster? Is that the right I was going to call myself Jason the Brain Rosenbaum. Okay. okay. I was going to call you, like, I don't know, uh, <laughs> uh, the... I, I'm trying to think of some wrestling character to, to pair with your name, Joe Manis. Do you have yeah. any ideas, Joe? I don't know. Uh, I'm just thinking maybe Armlock? I don't know. Armlock Joe, <laughs> Joe Manis. And... Uh, the reason we had that festive introduction is because today was the first forum slash debate. You call it a forum. I call yeah. it a forum, too, in Maryland Heights between Attorney General Josh Hawley, uh, U.S. Senator Claire McCaskill, and also the Green Party ca- a nominee and, and an independent candidate right. as well. This will probably not be the last debate that we see Hawley and McCaskill, but it was the first one sponsored by the Missouri Press Association. Yeah, and, and, and the thing that's notable about this is that, frankly, the only way an average person could see it is I understand that the Holly campaign, I think, live-streamed it on their Facebook page. I don't know of anybody else who who ran it live online. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. I'm not sure, but we'll have a little bit of information at the end of the show about how you can actually see them live later in the election right, season. Right, right. But my point is, this this was a notable thing because this was their first matchup between uh, Josh Hawley and Claire McCaskill, yet only a few hundred people saw it, and the uh, there was tons of press there, but it's pretty much how reporters, you know, presented it to the public because it's not like the public could watch it or listen to it themselves, which is always a sad thing. And if you, if you go back two years ago, that the press association forums was the only, only uh, meetup between um, the it, gubernatorial candidates and the U.S. Senate candidates. Which was candidates. a shame. But I will just say this. You know, I've watched uh, MPA forums throughout the year, years. I'll be honest. Some of them are hit or miss. I thought that both the Senate and the auditors one, as we'll talk about later in the show, were, were excellent. I thought the questions were good. And I thought it got pretty pretty feisty for oh, yeah. a forum, as, and, we'll, as, we'll, as we'll showcase here. And a shout-out to AP correspondent David Lieb, who has been the moderator at these things for years and does a really excellent job. Also, shout-out to St. Joseph News Press' Ken Newton, who I met for the first time today, as well as my former colleague, Missouri Lawyers Media reporter Scott Locke. Now, an, a- and the Sheraton uh, staff, who quickly assembled things, when it was noticed there was no press table or stuff, and they did all this like within like five minutes before the forum starts. Well, now that we've provided all the information <laughs> that everybody needs to know, let's actually or talk. Need to let's know. talk about the actual forum because, 
As was expected, there were some pretty sharp differences between Holly and McCaskill on a, a host of issues. The first one that was notable was a question about whether Brett Kavanaugh should be uh, confirmed for the U.S. Supreme Court. This was Josh Hawley's answer. It's an answer that you've probably heard before on the show and elsewhere. I would absolutely vote yes. You know, I began my career working at the United States Supreme Court. I have the privilege now to represent the state of Missouri as your attorney general. And in my experience, there's only two kinds of judges. Those who believe in the Constitution the way the people wrote it and those who want to impose their own values from the bench. And Brett Kavanaugh is a pro-Constitution judge. He's the kind of judge that this state voted to put on the bench when we voted for Donald Trump by 20 points in 2016. Now, I've been very disappointed, I have to say, that Senator McCaskill uh, has uh, not stood up to her party on this issue. She wasn't willing to sit down with Judge Kavanaugh until uh, she got the okay sign from Chuck Schumer. And here is Senator McCaskill talking about her thought process. With all of President Trump's nominees, I don't start with an automatic no. In fact, I have voted to confirm over two-thirds of President Trump's judicial nominees. But I'm sure going to look at all the documents that are being hid from the public. I'm going to take the time to examine every single one of them. And my staff can't look at them because they've been arbitrarily deemed committee confidential, a new category. So I'm going through those documents. And I will make a decision shortly because I'm almost through them. But I will tell you there's some things in there that cause me pause, particularly Craig is worried about the rule of law. I'm worried about dark money. I'm worried about an activist Supreme Court that said a corporation is the same as a person, even though that word doesn't appear in our Constitution. By the way, McCaskill was referring to independent candidate Craig O'Dear, who was at this debate. Not really surprising responses from either one of them. We've heard this type of thing when we've gone to either Holly or McCaskill events. But what, what was your reaction to that? Yeah, well, most of it, okay, I want to emphasize that in some ways reporters are in a bubble because we've heard all this stuff a gazillion times. And average voters um, haven't because most of them aren't there. Which is why we're, we're laying some of this Ex out in exactly. podcast form, by Ex the way. Exactly. So that yes, this is news you can use. So... Um, for McCaskill, she told me a few days ago that she expects she will likely announce a decision next week. Now, while she, I know that she's saying she's going through these documents, which she is, I'll be shocked if she comes out in favor of Kavanaugh uh, for a variety of reasons, some of them policy-wise, but some of them political-wise, because the progressives are really leaning on her to um, come out against him. And while that may not influence her, um, I think it's something that would she would really, really, really have to like him in order to counter them. The same way that Josh Hawley, there's no way that he's not going to support Kavanaugh. Aside from the fact that they're like-minded, Josh Hawley is a strong supporter of President Trump's agenda, and that includes his judicial appointments. I do want to have this postscript to this topic because when this debate was going on today, there was news breaking about an allegation of sexual misconduct against Judge Kavanaugh when he was in high school. I want to make clear that Kavanaugh has denied these allegations. Um, this was in a letter that was apparently eventually made its way to the Senator FBI, to yeah. Senator Dianne Feinstein and to the FBI. So I asked Josh Hawley about these allegations, and this was his response. Well, look, we always take sexual misconduct very, very seriously, but I have to say that based on what we know about this, I mean, this just appears to be another attempt to stall and delay. I understand Senator Feinstein had this, this letter for months, only just now made it public. 
Uh, now, again, I, I don't know all the details behind that, but that seems very, very strange to me. Uh, and the Democrats have attempted to uh, stall and delay at, at, at every single uh, opportunity. So I think this process needs to move forward. And uh, Judge Kavanaugh deserves a vote and he deserves to be confirmed. Do you think that this story could complicate things for Holly, who has been very upfront about Kavanaugh's nomination? Or is there just not enough detail to go on at this point? Yeah, well, we've been through some of this, obviously, on a different whole different level with uh, former Governor Eric Greitens. But my, my point being that in, how, in, in uh, Kavanaugh's case, while, you know, both sides, the Republicans put out a letter signed by dozens of young women who went to high school with Kavanaugh and who say he behaved appropriately. Um, if there's another woman that comes out, then it gets complicated. If it's just this one, it may not cause that much of a ripple. It's interesting that the Republicans were able to quickly get like goes over 60 women to sign. So there's a belief that probably both sides, let's say in the in the U.S. Capitol, knew about this. And 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 to be to be fair to Feinstein, it's unclear if she ever wanted this out. She may have been just weighing this and not sure what to do with it. There's more information about this in other news sources. The New Yorker was actually the the outlet that revealed the actual allegations. Moving on to something that affects everybody in Missouri, health care, another source of contention was McCaskill's uh, attack on Holly, which she's been doing for a while. For months. About how Holly is part of this lawsuit that is effectively trying to do away with much of the uh, Affordable Care Act, and which would include requirement that governments which would, re- would include the governmental requirement about pre-existing yeah, conditions. Yeah, what, what it is, it's a requirement that insurance companies would have to cover pre-existing conditions. It's not just covering people with pre-existing conditions. It's covering the pre-existing condition. And this is what McCaskill had to say on this topic, among other things. Independent fact checker in Missouri said today that the very first time they've said absolutely true is on my statement that Josh Hawley's lawsuit will take away every protection that Missourians have against overreach by insurance companies, including pre-existing conditions, including cutting Medicare prescription drug benefits, including telling women they have to pay more just because they're women. The list goes on and on. Josh Hawley had a decision to make when he filed that lawsuit. He could have asked the court to sever out, to separate pre-existing conditions. And here is Hawley's response. And I'll tell you this, I will never support taking away health insurance coverage from those with pre-existing conditions. The question is, are we going to have to have Obamacare to do it? And are Missouri families going to be forced to pay 145% premium increases in order to have pre-existing conditions coverage? Senator McCaskill says yes, I say no. Interestingly, there are other Democratic senators who are running against attorney generals, or attorneys general, sorry, who are part of this lawsuit, and those Republicans are being attacked, too. Joe Manchin in West Virginia had a very memorable ad recently where he, like, takes a shotgun to the lawsuit just like he took, like, a gun to uh, cap and trade. So this is clearly a coordinated Democratic strategy that McCaskill is a part of. Um, What do you think think about it? Well, to be fair, she she was actually one of the first— that started going after this. I mean, I wrote my first story about this probably in March. Yeah. Um, shortly after. So she was part ahead of the curve. Yes, yeah, she was. I think in some ways it could be that 
uh, when some other Democrats saw that she was somewhat successful with it, they kind of globbed onto it. Now, um, Hawley has said for almost as long that he believes in protecting the coverage for pre-existing edition, and he contends that Congress can do it by passing legislation to protect the people with pre-existing conditions. Now the now the bill, and in fact, until recently, he has backed this bill that uh, some uh, members of Republican members of Congress put together that allegedly would do that. But what it does, what the bill does, and McCaskill actually mentioned it during the forum, is that while the bill would require insurance companies to cover people with pre-existing conditions, it doesn't require them to cover the pre-existing condition. So she's like, well, it doesn't really do anything. Part of this is Republicans have been struggling for years with, I mean, while they have strong objections to the Affordable Care Act, they've been talking about replacing, and they've never come up with some sort of replacement yet that would do some of the things that the public wants them to do because covering pre-existing conditions for an insurance company is expensive. They have to come up with some way to cover those costs. We'll be seeing a lot of debate on that topic, I think, until November. And another one I think we're going to see is on tariffs, another issue we've talked about a lot. And this, I think, really is a point of difference that it kind of is not the partisan lines you would expect. Oh. And, I, and I mentioned this before. Both McCaskill and U.S. Senator Roy Blunt, who's a Republican, have been on record saying the tariffs are a bad idea. And McCaskill kind of reiterated her view that the, the retaliation that have come from the, t the steel and aluminum tariffs have hurt Missouri agriculture. Very similarly, I've said that the tariffs are a two by four and we need a scalpel. And the last thing we should be doing is alienating all our allies. He's picking fights all over the world. And our allies should be coming together with us to present a united front against China overreach. We have ways we can go after China and their cheating. But hurting Missouri farmers and manufacturing is the wrong way to do it. This is a moment when you have to have independence. You have to stand up for your state. And this is uh, Attorney General Hawley's view on the tariff issue. Well, we're in a trade war. There's no doubt about that. But it's a trade war that Missouri farmers didn't start. It's a trade war the United States of America did not start. It's a trade war that China started. And it was started years and years ago. China has systematically weaponized our free trade system, the international trade system. They've ripped off American businesses. They've ripped off American workers. They've ripped off American farmers. And now it's time that we actually stood up to them. If we're going to be in a war, I'm for winning it. We've heard all this stuff before. And it could be a situation that McCaskill can use to her advantage if rural voters who have been hurt by these tariffs say, you know, here's somebody who's standing up to these things that are hurting us. Holly clearly thinks that it's an issue that will eventually help him. What do you think, Joe? Well, I think it's, again, one of these more complicated ones. There have been critics about U.S. trade policy going back decades. I mean, when... Um, NAFTA, which was the North America Free Trade Agreement, was passed in the 90s. It was primarily Republicans who were pushing for it, although then-President Bill Clinton backed it. And a lot of rank-and-file uh, blue-collar uh, Democratic voters and workers were strongly against it. Uh, the reason I'm mentioning that is because that provides a backdrop for some of this. One of the reasons President Trump was successful in 2016 is that he hammered away about some of these uh, 
trade agreements that some blue-collar workers in, in, in particular um, have felt that have sent jobs overseas and hurt them. I mean, there's no question that millions of jobs have gone overseas. Now, but here's the flip side. When, Pre- when President Trump put these tariffs on, and they weren't, is it wasn't even gradually, the flip side is that some of these same trade agreements have ended up helping certain sectors, and farmers in particular have been one of the beneficiaries because they have found a market, particularly in China, for their raw materials and like grains and things like that, soybeans in particular. Well, so China countered after Trump put these tariffs on all these products by immediately finding other places to buy soybeans. So it's been going to Europe and other places and buying their soybeans. And many of our farmers in Missouri and elsewhere are being literally left holding the bag with all these soybeans that they don't have markets on. And I've heard unbelievable stories from us relatives and others of farmers that are losing hundreds of thousands of dollars over this. So they're pretty upset. And uh, I think Holly and McCaskill are both aware of this. I think Holly is hoping that the president's going to come up with some sort of um, uh, change quickly. I mean, the president has put out this plan to provide subsidies to farmers that are being hurt. Uh, McCaskill's saying, uh, well, the subsidies aren't the aren't the long-term solution and uh, something needs to be done. So you've got the lines starkly drawn, and it's not just your traditional political ones, which is why it took so long to answer this. Yeah, it's okay. And I w- and, 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 and uh, the listeners probably didn't know I was doing like the circle signal for Joe to wrap <laughs> yeah, it up. Yeah, be quiet. And uh, it, was, okay. it was partially successful. I do want to move on to, to one other thing I want to highlight, and that is this exchange over revealing tax returns. Now, Joe and I talked about it this week because Joe did a story about how Holly and his wife released their 2017 tax returns, and McCaskill released her 2017 tax returns, but not her husband, businessman Joseph Shepard. I mean, I think both of us kind of agree that while I I think it's probably within the public interest to see this, I really don't think this is a huge issue when it comes to moving voters. We saw that in 2016 when Eric Greitens didn't do it. He still won by six points. We saw when Donald Trump didn't do it. He won in Missouri by 19 percentage points. Now, but on the other hand, Republicans feel that they've uh, uh, begun a strong line of attack by going after the $131 million in subsidies that the projects that received money from uh, her husband obtained. My family, my wife and I, have released our family tax returns. I think that transparency is a good thing. So we've released all of ours. I've called on Senator McCaskill to release all of her family tax returns. Now, she wonders why that's relevant. Here's why. Because her net wealth has tripled while she's been in the United States Senate, because she and her husband have made millions of dollars on federal taxpayer subsidies. There's all kinds of questions about the tax shelters they have in the Cayman Islands. Now, I don't know what the truth is about these things, but the people of Missouri deserve to know, deserve to know why they've made millions in federal contracts while the senator has been in the United States Senate. So just release the returns, hold, do the same thing that my wife and I have done. And if you're not going to release the returns, Senator, I'd at least say this to you. Will you pledge then to give back the $131 million in federal subsidies that you've taken and gotten rich off of? Here is uh, Senator McCaskill's response to that. Boy, he's caught on fast, hasn't he? 
you take a headline and you distort it and, 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 and demonize someone. In the very article that he's taking that headline from, it said, I did nothing in the Senate to direct anything towards my husband. And it went on to say that my husband didn't get that money. It went to the projects where he was a minority investor. It didn't go into his pocket. When I met my husband, I was a single mom with three kids. He was very, he's sitting out there, I love you, honey. He was a very successful businessman. He'd done a lot of different businesses. He'd done exactly what the Republican Party preaches. He started out with nothing and building a fabulously successful business, creating thousands of jobs and great wealth. I met him, I fell in love with him, and we have a wonderful family. He's done nothing wrong. And I get so tired in every election of them trying to make his success and question his integrity. It's terribly unfair to him. I mean, on the one hand, um, the $131 million, which I think it was initially reported by the Kansas City Star yes. a few months ago, um, they were very clear in that they had done their investigation. They found no cases where she had used her influence. And this $131 million does not go to him. It goes to projects, many of which are low-income housing projects, and it's subsidies to cover the rents that the people don't pay because they have limited income. But on the other hand, um, I think uh, it's a legitimate issue from the standpoint that a few years ago, I think this was the 2006 election, may have been 2012, but one of them, uh, McCaskill did allow Associated Press reporters to look through some of her husband's documents. They came away with the same conclusion, but they also were looking at, you know, where the subsidies came from, what happened. Now, you get a little bit of a picture if you go to her federal uh, financial disclosure reports that she has to file annually. And he has minority interests in close to 300 different limited partnerships. So it's not, so there's a, it's a little bit of money here, a little bit of money there, and close to 300 of them. So the point is, it's rather a complicated uh, picture of his finances. And what hurts, I think, from the Republican perspective, is at the same time they're going after him, they're not, I mean, they're defending President Donald Trump. They're not asking for his tax returns, who basically. Probably, who, who most likely, forgetting all this Russian stuff, most likely has similar complicated business dealings with dozens, if not hundreds, of different companies or limited partnerships that he's involved in. I think this will probably continue to be an attack. How effective it's going to be, I think, is anybody's guess. But you could tell by McCaskill's response to that. That didn't really sound like, you know, a talking points response. I think she's genuinely upset by the whole thing. And I, I don't blame her. If my wife was attacked when I was running for office, I would be upset too. And frankly, I'm sure Senator Blunt was upset when his wife would, and sons were brought into the public domain, even though they are lobbyists and do work in the public sphere as well. I mean, their situations are a little different because they're lobbyists as opposed to uh, direct business people. But either way, I predict, because she had to do this in 2006, she ran an ad where she talked into the camera uh, and about some of her husband's business dealings and kind of straightening some of this out. I wouldn't be surprised if she had to do it again. I think she was assuming she wouldn't have to, that people remembered that. But voters don't. That was 12 years ago. I bet you she has to do another ad saying some of the things that she said at the forum today. <laughs>
And now it's time for Politically Speaking's election analysis, where we break down what will be on your ballot on November 6th. So we're going to shift to the other race that was featured today, the Missouri State Auditor's race. We're going to use this as an opportunity to talk about this context in a little bit more depth. So the two major candidates are incumbent Democratic Senator Nicole Galloway and Republican Sandra McDowell. Galloway, as everybody knows, was appointed to the post after Tom Schweik's suicide in 2015. So she's running for her first full four-year term, even though for all intents and purposes, she has served basically a full term as auditor, but not exactly because of the timeline. And she's running against somebody who has never run for office before. She McDowell is an attorney who has some experience working in the attorney general's office and the secretary of state's office. As we talked about previously, I don't think she was expected to win the primary. She spent very little money. Other candidates like Paul Kurtman had more institutional support and people like David Wassinger had a lot more money and was running television ads. But this is where we are right now. And I got to say, Joe, I think that this forum got a lot nastier and a lot feistier than even the Senate one. Yeah, it's more personal, except for possibly the Joe Shepard attacks. I want to hone in on the discourse that is between the two candidates. There was questions about, like, you know, how are you going to run the office and and some issues that we'll talk about later. But this is uh, Nicole Galloway talking about why she feels that Sandra McDowell is not qualified for this position. The fact is, is that my opponent is not qualified to be state auditor. She has not been forthcoming and truthful about her residency or her debts. While she said she lived in Missouri, she actually lived in Kansas and still hasn't explained that. She's been sued seven times in the last five years uh, for unpaid bills and has over $50,000 in garnishments and judgments against her. She's exaggerated her experience. She did not prosecute Medicaid fraud in the Attorney General's office. And those that did were very surprised to hear her claim credit for this. Finally, I think she's going to be beholden to dark money because she's so financially compromised, she might be willing to accept dark money in exchange for looking the other way in audits. Uh, She is not qualified to be state auditor, and I would be hesitant to hire her as an entry-level auditor in my office given her issues. So believe it or not, I have followed state auditor races in the past, and I never heard that type of discourse before, especially from an incumbent. Like the Susan Monty, Tom Schweik race did not really get that negative. There were negative ads, but not to that level. Even the Sandra Thomas, uh, Susan Monty race, I think it got negative, but not to that level. Uh, Auditor Galway is talking about a couple controversies we've talked about before. The questions about whether McDowell meets the 10-year residency. She's had some financial problems that have been well documented. And this is the response that McDowell gave afterward, which was notable for a couple reasons we'll talk about in a second. I found, find it interesting that our current auditor, who is a CPA, was just drug into court last week in Cole County for transparency issues herself. She talks about things that are incorrect, by the way, that have happened in my past, but she's been sued twice while in office for failing to follow Sunshine Law requests and for uh, deleting government records. 
do we want a state auditor that, that deletes our government records and is not transparent? That is the essence of the auditor's office, is to be transparent with our taxpayer funds. But yet she's been sued twice for that. She claims to be a watchdog over our state, but there's been fraud going out in several counties where she uh, was supposed to be doing an audit there. It went four to five years without an audit, and then fraud occurred. If she's not a watchdog, then she's just a dog, and I will be a bulldog for this state. Uh, that line was pretty startling, Joe. Um, first of all, before we get to the analysis of this, Auditor Galloway said that the being late to audit accusation was overstated and not true. She's sometimes statutorily required to audit certain counties. Um, and and the, the lawsuit that they're talking about, I believe a conservative group is suing over some texts and some other records. Yeah, basically. I mean, yeah, the, the state Republican Party is involved. Um, yeah, they've been fighting with her over they want certain um, text messages, and that's what she's referring but to. But you notice, Joe, she didn't really address a lot of what Galloway said about her residency or her financial problems. No, she really didn't. And it was notable to me. Um, what, what do you make of this exchange? Because as I just mentioned before, this discourse is way, way more nasty than I'm used to in an auditor's race. What, what's your take on this? Yeah, I totally agree. I think it got particularly nasty. And there was a couple interesting things for me watching is that uh, McDowell kind of laid out what her campaign message is. She's emphasizing her past in the military. She also, which kind of surprised a few people, including me, uh, was talking about um, saying she was saying that um, Galloway has had too many auditors at some of these, um, you know, that they go out to investigate these locals, uh, governmental bodies. And she was claiming they could be doing more at their desks and they wouldn't have to be going out as much. Um, she was also talking about coming up with some sort of procedure, some sort of a handbook, and uh, implying that she was indicating that she's heard complaints from some of these local governments that they want um, more of a streamlined process. In short, she was saying that she could save money by reducing how these audits are done. After the debate, and we'll get back to the debate in a second, but a few reporters caught up with McDowell, and reporters asked her about the residency thing, because in order for that to have become an actual legal issue, somebody who was on the ballot would have had to sue. David Wassinger or Paul Kurtman missed that opportunity during the Republican primary. And we asked her about that issue. This was her fairly brief response to us. The courts have been very clear on the residency issue. No one filed a lawsuit. The residency is a non-issue at this point. I will be on the ballot in November, and that's, that's all I have to say about it. This is Galloway talking about that issue. There certainly are questions about her constitutional eligibility to serve as state auditor. Uh, really, for me, what this is about is there's no question she's not qualified to be state auditor, and that's what this campaign is. Um, you know, this is a very public job interview to be the state's top fiscal watchdog. And uh, why would taxpayers turn over their multi-billion dollar checkbook to somebody that has no ability to balance her own finances? I think this also goes to the heart of uh, uh, being truthful uh, and forthcoming with information. Uh, as we all know, she claimed to live in Missouri. Part of that time she lived in Kansas. She was not truthful about that. And uh, she still has not explained that to us. Given the fact that McDowell has not, I think has like $5,000 of cash on hand, 
Do you think that uh, Galloway didn't sue because she believes that McDowell is a weak opponent and didn't want her replaced by a stronger Republican opponent? My personal opinion, yeah. I mean, I think why would she? I mean, look at from a strategic standpoint, it's I McDowell mean, has some issues that are easy to attack, hard to defend against. I mean, one of the things that um, Galloway said during the debate was that McDowell has been sued seven times in five years. Hopefully I got that right. But, I mean, the point is, is that that stuff is an easy target and it's probably easier for Galloway to run against that than to maybe have it something more complicated if the GOP was able to name, let's say, Wassinger or Kurtman as a replacement opponent. And I'm not saying that McDowell isn't going to win this race. Like, if Josh Hawley beats McCaskill by, let's say, five or six percentage points... It's possible. ...then McDowell could win based off those coattails. I know that there may be outside groups that could come in and help. You know, Auditor Galloway talked about that possibility, but... At some point, like, she needs to show some fundraising ability, and that has yet to materialize. Well, it also signals that the that the state GOP is not helping her. Not at this point. I do want to talk about a big issue that actually, again, broke today. An amendment known as Clean Missouri involves the auditor's office in what I would consider a fairly major way. The auditor would be required to set up a process to get the demographer that draws the House and Senate lines um, to the, the Senate leaders to, to, to strike. Well, today, that amendment was actually thrown out by a Cole County judge. The proponents of it are still going to appeal. But this issue did come up, and after the, the forum, because during the forum it wasn't really 100% clear, I did ask Auditor Galway if she supported this initiative. I, I mean, well, I think, first of all, we're not really sure it's going to make it to the ballot, and I think that's clear after the decision today. Um, you know, I have been fighting to clean up Jefferson City for a long time, and this is a measure that aims to do that, and so I do support it. And this is Sandra McDowell's opinion on that issue. I'm very thankful for that decision today. I think Clean Missouri would have been devastating for our state. I'm hoping that the appeals court uh, will, will affirm that decision. Um, I think that Clean Missouri, with giving redistricting power to the state auditor's office, would immediately politicize an office that we should keep very nonpartisan and nonpolitical by giving them that authority to be able to come up with the demographer that would be doing the redistricting, uh, regardless Regardless which party they're in, Republican or Democrat, I don't think either side should have sole, sole uh, authority to come up with that person. And so, again, I'm thankful for that decision. I hope that it's affirmed and that Clean Missouri stays off the ballot. Now, Clean Missouri proponents would point out the auditor is not the sole person that chooses the demographer. And I was kind of jumbled in my explanation before. But basically, the, the auditor would present a number of candidates to the House uh, or excuse me, would present a number of candidates to the Senate, Republican and Democratic leaders. I believe that they would be able to strike some of them, and I think that a random lottery would ultimately choose the demographer. But I think that there's no question that the reason this race got a lot more attention is because of Clean Missouri. Joe, do you think that if Clean Missouri is off the ballot that this race falls even be more below the radar than it actually is? Probably. And, yes, for all the reasons that we just mentioned, I won't belabor it. But it's 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 unclear. I mean, the main the judge's main objection to clean Missouri is that it deals with several topics. Uh, the the uh, drawing of the new boundary lines is just one of them, although to the critics, that's the major one. It also would impose um, the limits on lobbyist gifts, 
uh, imposed restrictions on when legislators could become lobbyists. Uh, that sort of also has slightly different campaign donation limits for legislators. Now, the judge's contention is that that's just too many different topics. It needs to have one topic. The backers say, no, it's still just one topic. It's just all about the General Assembly, and it's just different things that would deal with the General Assembly. I think you and I have both been talking about this, so this is likely something that's going to be decided by the state Supreme Court. I do want to just uh, make an announcement that people might have heard. St. Louis Public Radio will be joining up with KSDK and the Nine Network on October 18th to present a Missouri Senate debate with Claire McCaskill and Josh Hawley. And this will be aired on NBC affiliates, PBS affiliates, and NBR affiliates across the state. Um, Joe will be one of the panelists along with Mike Bush as and Judy Woodruff will be the moderator, and Ruth Azell will also be involved in curating questions. Casey Nolan and I will be part of the post-show extravaganza that we haven't quite figured out 100% yet. But um, we're, all, we're looking forward to this. I think it's going to be uh, a, a, a very fascinating thing. And I think that there has to be more debates on a, on, a, on a race of this level than just the Missouri Press Association debates. I think that they, they, are, they are good, but as you mentioned, Joe— not a lot of people actually get to see it for the reasons we mentioned. Yes. And now I've heard when I was talking to other reporters, there's at least two other possible debates that Holly and McCaskill may agree to do, um, which I think they're both scheduled actually before ours. Um, but it's unclear if those are going to happen. Apparently talks are still continuing. Again, I'm all for, I, I think, the more debates, the better. Actually, for the candidates as well, because if they only have, let's say, one televised debate, a gaffe then takes on a much bigger, um, becomes a bigger issue than if there was two or three debates, and then they can just, they can counter that with a better performance the next time. For all of our stories, stlpublicradio.org. Follow me on Twitter at Jay Rosenbaum. Follow Joe on Twitter at Jay Manis. That's J-M-A-N-N-I-E-S. Have a great weekend, everybody. Everybody get up. It's time to slam now. We got a real jam going down. Welcome to the Space Jam. Here's your chance. Do your dance at the Space Jam. All right. All right. St. Louis Public Radio's The Gateway gives you the day's news first thing every weekday morning. From the ever-evolving relationship between St. Louis City and County to developments in the Missouri and Illinois state capitals and reports from our correspondents in Rolla and the Metro East, we put it all in a roughly 10-minute package with clarity and context. Download The Gateway wherever you get podcasts.